guest this week, Liz is Butler. That's right, Gerard Butler returns to the podcast to talk about his new film, Plane. Plus, Liz is Coulter. That's right, his co-star Mike Coulter is also with him, talking also about Plane. How exciting, what a start to the year. All that and more on the movie podcast that would quite like to never see Northampton services again. It'll become clearer why later in the show. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Emperor Podcast. Uh, it is a Wednesday. We are recording this on a Wednesday. Usual podcast recording day is a Thursday, but we brought it forward by a day uh, because I... Because I wanna... we want to give Hollywood more chance to release trailers after we more chance, record. Yes. If something happens in the next 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours, we will reconvene and maybe do a little news button or something. But uh, uh, I'm unavailable tomorrow. Helen, you're unavailable tomorrow. I am. Yeah, what are you doing, Helen? I'm going to be doing some Fableman's interviewing. Yeah, that's right. Who are you going to be interviewing, Helen? I'm going to be interviewing Steven Spielberg. There we go. See? <laughs> there we go. Anyway, welcome, welcome to my two colleagues of such a lethal cunning. Uh, Helen O'Hara, Geek Queen, is here already. Yes, hello. Hello, hello. And great big fucking nerd, James Dyer, is also here. Hello, James. Hello. Hello, how are you? I am full of beans. Are you really? No, not really. That's a healthy balanced lunch. I had, a, I, I had lunch. a sandwich for lunch. Was, oh. There were no mm. beans. Mm. No. I had a uh, peri-peri chicken wrap from Waitrose just before I saw a film, and I ate it in the working title screen room. And that's right, Tim and Eric, I have left crumbs all over the seat. <laughs> oh, Chris. That's right. That nice screening room Nice well. screen room, awesome oh. job. Well done, Tim and Eric. Uh, which Tim and Eric do you prefer? Do you prefer Tim Bevan and Eric Fellner, founders of Working Title, yeah. one of the greatest, in fact, maybe even the greatest British production company sure. of all time, of Ooh, all time. Whoa, mama. Production company, not studio. So I'm not, I'm not, none of your ealing, yeah, none of your say, hammers. All right, okay. Well. Production company. All right, okay. Take that one. Chew that over for a few seconds, okay? Tim and Eric from Working Title. Okay. Or Tim and Eric from Tim and Eric. I'm going to go ahead and say Working Title. So am I, but mainly because I don't fully understand who Tim and Eric from Tim and Eric is. Oh my God. Their, their, their comedy is made for you. It's <laughs> is it? esoteric. It's what, not it's funny? Surreal. <laughs> uh, it's for many people not funny. It's, it's, it's the comedy of being deliberately unfunny in some ways. Until it becomes funny. They specialize a lot. So it's Tim Heidecker and Eric Wareheim, who've been on this podcast for mm. Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie. Uh-huh. The joke being that it didn't cost a billion dollars or indeed make a billion dollars. How funny. And there were many, <laughs> many more jokes than that. Chef Goldblum plays a character called Chef Goldblum. Was he a chef? I can't remember. <laughs> They're very funny. Clearly. Tim and Eric from Working Title <laughs> Take It By a Nose. Uh, how are you both? Yeah, you know, honestly, it hasn't been the best week. Oh. Spoilers for the review section. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know. <laughs> we did have quite the Monday, to be fair. And I, I, I dodged the. the was it the, Blue Monday? It was actually, but like, you know, you maybe yourself? that's why they put that film on that day. I don't know. But, um, but it, was, it was a bit of a mood shift. We went straight from that to another film. Another film which we'll talk about, which is which, which was very about. good, but, um, but also not super cheery. No. And then it's just been, it's just been a weirdly. Mm, like, mm, like, mm, stressful week. Like, you know nothing you need, like, mm, just, 
little bits of stress. You need to do a podcast with two of your favourite people. And I hope that happens for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. Maybe tomorrow at the Fableman's <laughs> Junket, you know? Maybe uh, tomorrow. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed indeed. Uh, well, listen, I hope this does cheer you up and the millions listening at home uh, that uh, we can put a bit of a spring in your step. Jimbo, how are you? I'm okay, actually. Yeah, I'm good. This week is this week is a lot for me as well. It's not been stressful, but I have an awful lot of things to watch this week. And uh, yes, but but and and this is the plus point. I had an awful lot of things to watch, mainly for the pilot pilot TV podcast, obviously. Uh, but uh, I didn't want to watch most of them, and all the ones I've seen so far have been surprisingly delightful. So I'm I'm That's feeling quite nice. chipper because yeah. lots of things I had written off how unlike me before seeing uh, turned out to be really good. So, so, yay. Mm. Yay for unexpected gems. Do you want to hear the second half of James Dyer's sentence? Do you want to hear more from this great guy? <laughs> Sign up now to James Dyer Plus. Just £1.99 a minute. Yeah, it's onlyfans.com slash James C. Dyer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Have you considered that? Have you ever considered an OnlyFans? Oh, 100%, yeah. yeah. It's me going, on the Pilot TV podcast this week. Except naked. <laughs> that is so not different enough. That's uh, basically from when we're recording remotely. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. Uh, my only fans would be uh, people would pay money and then I would put clothes on. Yeah, yeah. I uh, like a troll stripper. <laughs> like a troll stripper. Yep, it's a Terry Pratchett joke. Like, don't worry. Oh, about okay, that. okay, okay. Because trolls like naturally don't wear clothes, so yeah. it gets them all head up when they put no, because they're on. made of rock. Mm. I bet they are. Except for yeah. King of the Trolls, him diamond. Anyway, we're getting possibly slightly off track. Yeah, king of the Trolls in what, uh, Pratchett or Tolkien? Pratchett. The Trolls don't have a king in Tolkien. That you know of. That, don't be so troll. That, that, yeah, I mean, okay, that could I mean, be a king you know, cave could troll. Be, uh, like, there isn't, though. But, like, you don't there, know, there's no, a king I'm goblin. Sure, like, there's a lot of lore out there. I feel like, you know, J.R.R. would have mentioned it. You, what, you're saying, actually, that trolls are much more enlightened, they're more likely to be a democracy than a monarchy. I'm saying, sort of I'm saying that they don't have a well-developed governmental system at all. Yeah. What with the whole oppression by Sauron? They don't believe in centralized leadership. That's correct. Yeah. I'm that glad we got sense. that straight. I'm sure everyone's fascinated. Yeah. No, I'm bummed out. <laughs> all right, we have questions. Shall we have questions? Bring them. We have questions. Not, not many. Not many questions. Not many. I, I did it in a panic. I was on my way here from the screening, and I, you know, uh, I, I toyed with the idea of renting a, a lime and then cycling here to get here quicker. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, it won't be quicker if I'm being scraped off the pavement, <laughs> which, would, is, which would be what would happen if I were to cycle around London. But nevertheless, uh, I'm going to ask for questions. I'm gonna, yeah, I might even ask, I might retweet myself uh, and just do any more for any more and uh, not to imply that these are rubbish. <laughs> uh, but there we go. Apparently we have 17 questions. Uh, Roscoe Keniston says on the back of The Last of Us Yes Woo. Any games or books that still haven't been made into movies or oh, what's that James what's that word <laughs> Oh yeah I thought Tvvshus that you would like to see or would lend itself well to an adaptation any games or books that have Well from a game point of view I maintain The Last of Us is the greatest narrative story in all of video gaming so that's you know that box is well and truly truly ticked What about a Shadow of the Colossus or something like that Shadow of the Colossus is more of a mood piece it doesn't have much in the way of a story Exactly my point What about Mario Kart What about Portal Let's talk about Portal Do you know what 
Do you know what? We should talk about Portal. Helen, the cake is a lie, but that is not a bad idea. Actually, I would 100% watch. Okay, okay, let's let's roll with this. So Portal... Okay, okay, okay. Portal, really good idea. But while we're in the kind of Valveverse, I think Half-Life generally could work quite well. Um, Half-Life or Half-Life 2? Uh, Half-Life 2. Sorry, I know I, stuff. But who are you and what have you done with mainly, Helen? Mainly so we get Half-Life 2 Episode 2 because obviously we got Half-Life 2 Episode 1. We never got I was about to two. say, yeah. Uh, but also System Shock would be a really good one as well. And System Shock 2, I think those would make excellent adaptations while okay. on the gaming front. But, my, uh, my brother doesn't play that one. So okay, sorry. So, but no, Portal's good because Portal is both, you know, fun and funny. I hate you. Yes. Both. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Helen, you've read. I have some, read books, yes. Books. Um, well, uh, our other favourite that we talked about recently, Empire of the Vampire, would yes. be quite a fun, probably TV show. It's a bit sprawling. Yeah, I think, but for I'm, I'm for all fancy novels from now on. I'm just saying, you know, it's a TV show. I'll get the fuck out. I don't know. I mean, no The Lies of Locke Lamora is a nice little, like, heist drama. And I do feel like heists are generally better in movies than on TV. Yeah, so I'd be tempted to, to try and find a way to make the Loch Lamora book slash books into a, a film series rather than TV series. I have long, long, long wanted the Miles Verkoskin books by Lois McMaster Bujold to become a crazy space opera series with probably like Daniel Radcliffe playing Miles Verkoskin. So he's basically this guy who's born into this very militaristic future society. So colonies and all the planets, you know, humanity spread across the stars. His planet happens to be kind of based in czarist, almost kind of Russian aristocracy. And he's, you know, he comes into a very, very noble family. But he's da- he's hurt in an attack on his mother before he's born. And he's born with like weak limbs like Mr. Glass and um, wow. and, and small, where everybody else is this warrior culture and they're all like oh, tall and strapping. And everybody hates him and he's kind of like picked on and, and kind of looked down on until it turns out like he's basically a strategic genius and he ends up good. being sent off on an does off-world mission. he get his mission. Ender away? He d- kind of does. He, <laughs> he, that was a bad adaptation though. But he ends up um, accidentally becoming admiral of a fleet of space pirates and so having cool. a double identity where he's ad- admiral of the fleet of space pirates but also, you know, this increasingly powerful nobleman's son back on his home planet. But it's also just really fun. It's inclusive. It's 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 really clever. I, I love it. Um, so somebody should make the Miles for Costco well, books. I tend to reel out the same titles again and again when we do this. So I'm going to go with something slightly different. Say mm-hmm. Jack Campbell's The Lost Fleet series Ooh, would make yeah. an excellent TV show. Uh, so I haven't read all of them by any stretch. I've only read the first one, which is Dauntless. Uh, but the whole the idea of this is future. They the 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 the, the Earth essentially ships decide to. There's two warring powers. Ones I can't even remember the names of the two different factions. But they decide they're going to end the war in one fell swoop, and the whole fleet jumps deep into enemy territory to engage them and. It goes horribly wrong and they all have to retreat. And so they are on the run back to their own space, but obviously it would take a very, very long time to get back and they're constantly being pursued by the enemy and lots of stuff happens. So it's a bit Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, 33. Yeah, yeah all of that. Length. It's all of that, but without Souls. silence. But, and I, but it, it could really, really work. And the idea, the, the thrust of it is, is that just before they go into this battle, they find this, uh, this ship with a guy in suspended animation and he is a guy who had been seemingly killed in a conflict a long, long time ago. But actually, he has been sort of almost deified as this legendary war hero that everyone... Blackjack, they call him. I can't remember his last name. But, and so people use him in, like, in common speech. Oh, you know, if, you, if only you were Blackjack, whatever his name is. And then they get this real guy and it's whether or not the, the reality lives up to the legend. And he has to take over control of the fleet and then he's fighting with the legend of... 
of himself, essentially. But it's, yeah, it's really interesting. That I, sounds fun. I, yes, I, I've I, read I, the first one. Oh, you've read well. the first one? Yeah. yeah, yeah ages yeah. ago, ages ago. Yeah, same so here. That's why I can't remember any of the names. Yeah. But I remember it being a lot of fun. Yeah, that could work. So I, I, I would like to see that. Is there any chance we could put that behind a paywall? What you just said. Oh my god! <laughs> you asked. I know I asked, but I, I shouldn't have done it. Yeah. You shouldn't have done it. You didn't realize we would answer the question. We also, um, we also need, and I'm, I am banging the same drum here. More Diana Wynne Jones stories. So, A Tale of Time City, Magicians of Caprona. Basically, Magicians of Caprona is like Romeo and Juliet if everybody had magic and was basically like having giant like magic fights in the streets instead of duels, which are boring because, like, what's a sword when you could be having a custard pie fight, you know? And the Tale of Time City is this time city where you can, like, travel to different points on the timeline and and basically somebody is doing that and screwing things up. Ooh. You just yeah. made me think when you said when you said that the city, it made me think of Sigil, the city of doors, which made me think of Planescape Torment, which is one of the best narrative video games ever made that isn't The Last of Us. And I think Planescape Torment would make a fantastic TV series. Okay. That would be so good. I mean, the actual story is far too complicated to go into now, but essentially a guy who wakes up with no memory and is immortal, and he has to work out why he's immortal and what the hell is going on. It takes place in a place where it's almost like the hub city where oh, all worlds collide, <laughs> where you can like you get port keys which can essentially take you to, to other worlds, and it's set in the, the centre hmm. of the plains. So it's a good chip. Can we do the rest of the podcast now, please? Oh my please. God, just because you didn't speak for like three minutes, you're yeah. like oh. freaking out. The game has 80s pop star Sheena Easton. Oh, Sheena it. Easton. Playing a tiefling. Yeah. Yes, a singer. Robert of... Delancey's in it. He does a lot of Mitch Pelleggi as well. Ooh. Join the um, queue, mate. Yeah, the main character is called The Nameless One. Well, that's unoriginal. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's also a little... Took the you day know, off and like they came up with that one, didn't they? Self-contradictory, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's a I'm fine called skull. the nameless one, but yeah. you aren't anymore, are you? Yeah. By definition. That's true. I'm the man with no name, Game has apart a, from this one. <laughs> has a necrophilia gag within the first five minutes. Of- oh, speaking of necrophilia. Oh. Yeah. Um, uh, the okay, n- uh, okay, please finish the sentence quickly. <laughs> <laughs> not, it's not necrophilia specifically, but there is a sort of uh, necromancer space... Lesbian Necromancer series, if you're into that kind of thing. It starts with Gideon I'm the Ninth. Interested. And um it's weird and and I loved it. Space um, lesbian necromancers. Space lesbian necromancers. Yeah, yeah. What's it called? Um no, they went with Gideon the Ninth. Oh, yes, that's on my to read list. Mm. And and then there's Nona the Ninth and something else the ninth. Yes, yes. Yeah. I'm I'm here for Harrow these. the ninth that's is the it, second Harrow one. The ninth. Uh, Nona is the third. Yes. Uh, I'm I, yes, those are on, on my list to be to be read after the books I'm currently reading. Space lesbian necromancers. Space lesbian necromancers. I was going to say the Bible. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> which it's, bit? Uh, uh, the yeah, bit which Jesus. Bit? The, the bit with Jesus. Jesus. Well, yeah. they're already on top of that they're in The Passion of, of the Christ too. Precisely. Yeah. Um, Pop goes Cathedral. He's back again. Oh. Hey, we've definitely used that before. <laughs> we've definitely used that before. But um, I seem to. I, I, honestly, I could cut and paste your conversation from an earlier show. I know. Into, this, uh, into that bit. But you mentioned some new books there. I was. I yeah. was writing them down. Space lesbian. Necromancers. necromancers. I, I honestly passed out of just space lesbian. Um, space what it says lesbian on my business card. Necromancers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. So apparently, um, Mel Gibson, uh, as Empire Australia once famously opined on the cover, you gotta love Gibbo. And I think a lot of people would, would probably not, mm. but uh, he is hard at work, apparently, on Passion of the Christ 2. Jesus Boogaloo. I don't understand because he dies at the end of the first one. I know, but that's the thing. Well, People never stay dead for you. Stories. <laughs> so, he comes back for the sequel. It's so unoriginal. It's so, so unrealistic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's um, uh, Judas opens a portal and 
Christ knows what happens next. <laughs> uh, but yes, that's that's happening. Uh, I am reading currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got little drinking game for Christmas. Sorry, Santa got little drinking game for Christmas. Uh, a the complete collection of the Mister Men and Little Miss books. Right. Now, I loved these books when I was a kid. Apart from the, you know, patriarchy. Only read the Mister Men, right? Of course, am I right? Uh, I'm a right. Uh, I'm a right. Actually, I don't think Little Miss was quite as big a thing. It was when I was growing up. Yeah. Anyway, Roger Hargreaves, Mister Men and Little Miss books. They're fucking weird. Yeah. They are so weird. Mr. Tickle is cancelled. A lot of them should be cancelled. There is, uh, I read the most recent one, Little Miss Hug, um, the other day, in in which, uh, how can I say this? It it appears that Little Miss Hug brings Mr. Grumpy to uh, orgasm. And it's, uh, you know, she, she hugs him and he goes, fuck off. At first, right? She, 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 her power is to, what's well, not power? Salty her, language. Her, her uh... thing is, to, <laughs> honestly, when Roger Hargreaves passed on, they, they really went off the rails. Um, and uh, she hugs people. So, and her arms can fit around anyone. So her arms can fit around Mr. Small or Mr. Greedy or right. Mr. Bump. Okay. And so she hears, and I'm no word of a lie, this is what happens. She's walking along one day, because a lot of the, the Mr. Men and Little Miss stories start with a detailed description of their breakfast, after which they go on a walk, and then the inciting incident happens. Mm. So if you were adapting these into a, into a movie, that's what you would probably do. So the inciting incident of this is Little Miss Hug goes for a walk and she hears, and I quote, groaning and grunting coming from behind a hedge. <laughs> uh, now it's Mr. Grumpy. It's Mr. Dogging. It's Mr. Dogging. It's Mr. Grumpy. Uh, he's just grumpy about shit. And so she decides to give him a hug, unsolicited hug. In the bush. Now, HR mm-hmm. is going to have a word with little Miss Hug. All right? Because... Yes. Inappropriate workplace inappropriate touching. touching. Mm-hmm. Uh, he repels her advances. So she tries again. I'm sorry, Little Miss Hug needs to be cancelled. This yeah. is absolutely outrageous behaviour. But then what ha- something strange happens. When she hugs Mr. Grumpy for the second time, he acquiesces to her advances. And in the text it says, something happened to Mr. Grumpy that had never happened to him before. As she began to hug him, he felt a deep and warm sensation overcome him from within. And I was like, oh my God. It's just like the Grinch's heart growing two sizes. You say that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, at Jacob Turner Art wants to know, just because I rewatched them both, what's the best, Portals or The Charge of the Rohirrim? Oh. It's Portals. It is Portals. But like, because <laughs> I, I don't think that's the, I don't think, feel like that's my favorite bit of Lord of the Rings is my, is my basic thing. Okay. Um, so that's why I'm, but then like, it's in my favorite. If fav- it was portals or Helm's Deep, now then we'd have a conversation. Never go Helm's Deep. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Alarming insight into your love making. <laughs> oh my word. Ah, oh. portals. Portals. Portals by we some distance. About that. Yeah, we should mm. talk about portals. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's enough of this tomfoolery. Uh, that's enough of this sanctioned buffoonery. If you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, uh, where Twitter is still incredibly standing uh, after, after, after a couple of months of Elon Musk, it is still knocking around. Uh, and so get in touch with us. I'm at Chris Hewitt on there. Slide into my DMs if you must or wait to reply to a panicked shout out every now and again. Today's was particularly panicked. I was on my way here and I was like, we don't have a question. So I, I braved, I risked my life while I was crossing a road to do this. 
Wow. I probably should have waited in fairness. Uh, anyway, yes. Movie news. Shall we get straight into the movie news? What has been happening in the world of movie news? History of the World Part 2. That's kind of blown my mind. You've seen this, obviously, Mel Brooks' famous comedy from the insert year here, History of the World Part 1, always promised a sequel. And I remember renting History of the, History of the World Part 1 in the 1980s and looking for History of the World Part 2 because something's called Part 1, you assume there'll be a sequel. Um, and, and I looked for it in vain because such a thing did not exist, except it's now going to exist because Mel Brooks is making a TV series of History of the World Part 2. That's cool. Which is wild. Yeah. That is wild. Tell us more about it, Jimbo. I don't know anything more about it. Great. I do not know what eras it will cover. <laughs> I do not know what the gags will be. I know absolutely nothing other than it is a thing that is happening. It is a thing that exists. It is a thing that will exist. Yes. And we will review it on the Polity TV podcast. If you could have a sequel to any Mel Brooks movie, yes. what would it be and why? Spaceballs. Really? Yeah, because really? it was the first one I saw. It's the one I've seen most often. I don't like space. And I have an enormous amount of affection for it. I don't, I don't, like, <laughs> you don't care, care if Fair it's enough. not good. I don't uh, care. I just, I have a, a lot of affection for space balls. Okay. Jimbo? Blazing Saddles, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That one, I have, I have an affection for that film that I don't have for space balls, which I did not find funny. Any chance for young Frankenstein? It's Frankenstein! None. <laughs> None. None. But None. I feel like there's more to work with with Spaceballs just because there's been so much more development in that sphere than there maybe has been in the Frankenstein sphere since Young Frankenstein. <laughs> you know, like there's no mileage in making fun of the... Um... The Schwartz Awakens. <laughs> the Schwartz Awakens. See, already. Even James laughed. Yeah. Already we're laughing. Humor. That's a funnier joke than anything in Dracula's Dead. <laughs> <I mean, that's... laughs> It's definitely better than that. Um, what do you call him when Harvey Dent did Frankenstein? I mean, it was I and Frankenstein, wasn't it? No, was that I, Frankenstein? <laughs> <laughs> you just remembered. No, I just love you call, just call him Harvey, Harvey Dent. Dent. I, I had a moment, I couldn't remember his name. Aaron Eckhart. Oh, I Aaron in Eckhart. Dent. Like, I was like... I was struggling. I could get the Aaron and then I was like, it all went wrong. I was Taylor Johnson? No, I don't think so. Shit. Anyway, yeah. like I said, it's been a week. Um, but yeah, like that has no cultural footprint is what I'm saying. Whereas this, like the Star Avatar. Wars, whereas the Star <laughs> Wars sequels have a cultural footprint. So if, they, if they released I, Frankenstein, The Way of Water, it would make $2 billion at the box office. Well, interestingly enough, I wrote about that for The Guardian. Yeah, I know you did, yes. And... Yes. Um, and I think the, the cultural footprint thing is a really interesting thing. I also talked to Scott Mendelson, um, previously of Forbes, now of The Rap, who wrote that first cultural footprint piece. Yeah. And he was saying, like, yeah. he really likes Avatar. It wasn't meant to be a stick to beat the film with. It was just a sort of observation made in 2014 right. about the fact that you didn't see a lot of people in, you know, the costumes or the T-shirts or whatever, which is true. Thing. I was walking along a beach um, in, on Pandora and I looked back and yeah. I turned and I looked and I saw there was only one set of footprints. Wow. Only one set of cultural footprints in the sand. Wow. Was that when James Cameron carried you? James Cameron was carrying me the wow. whole way. That's, that's incredible. Thanks, the best JC. <laughs> my, my point is perhaps what is that a James Cameron fandom behaves differently from a Star Wars or a Marvel or a DC fandom and it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. It just means that it's a different because clearly it does. I saw someone again. I saw someone yesterday on Twitter going, 
off to see Avatar 2, a film nobody asked for. And it's just like, at this point, we have to accept that people have asked for this film. They just weren't focal about it. It's about to break the $2 billion barrier at the box office. It may have... By the, the time you listen minutes. to this. By the time yeah. you listen yeah. to this, it's probably broken the $3 billion barrier. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's wild uh, what this film is doing. And the, uh, the, it's the little engine, it's a little $450 million engine that could, but it is, it is crazy from a box office point of view what it's doing. Uh, I said on our Sporter Special, which is up on our Sporter Special subscription channel, that I think it's going to finish around the three mark. Mm-hmm. So not three billion, but around the third highest gross. Third highest gross yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's where we all Around about 2.2 or 2.3. And then I thought, oh, if I over-egged the pudding here a little bit, and then it added on like another yeah. hundred billion in a blink of an eye. I have a question. I have a question. That that James Cameron, the Cameron derangement syndrome seems to be a thing that uh, the people are banding around. So he said this thing recently. You know, the quote about the, the screen sizes, right? So he said recently in one of the interviews, going to a movie theater is less about the size of the screen and the perfection of the sound system. It's more about the decision not to multitask. Uh, and for some reason, this enraged everyone on the internet. Why? I don't know. But there was this massive backlash about, you know, of course, screen size matters. But I was like, he is 100% what he said. Like, I believe that 100%. The, the thing about going to the cinema is Twitter goes away, Instagram goes away, the person <laughs> next to you goes away. You know, everything is just, it's just this. Tell that to the person next it, to me who's on quite. Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> Fair enough. I've actually been to an influencer screening of a film and I fucked me. I wanted to set fire to the room with them all in it. But uh, they were just tweeting and Instagramming all the way through it. But it's awful, um, awful people. Awful people. Awful but people. Uh, it was Not a Transformers film, though, so it didn't anyway. really matter. Uh, but, uh, but genuinely, so that's it. And for someone like me who can't really focus very well, like it's actually really, really useful to be forced to just exist yeah. in that space. So, yeah. I'm, but that I'm is one of the things that is precious about the cinema going experience. Yes. And of course, look, if you're not able to get to a cinema, you know, the, the, you can recreate can that at home. It can, be, it, can be, <laughs> it can be done. But, it, but the, the cinema does take away the barrier by just making it unacceptable to have your phone, to be double screening yeah. Yeah. at the time. I mean, and, and for people getting mad about that, which is just stupid, just get a life. Like, it's not like James Cameron has a history of saying screen size doesn't matter and sound quality doesn't matter. Quite the opposite. Mm. Like, we cannot say that he doesn't care about those things. That would be insane. So he clearly he's making a wider point here, people, and mm. let's just try and take a moment to think about maybe context. If oh, you get mad God. about what James Cameron says about cinemas, maybe you're projecting. <laughs> The worst. Oh, you are the worst. Oh my god. Anything else? Oh, that's the worst. You're right. Okay. <laughs> Helen, um, Helen is who not wants a to fan. see me fight a fucking snake? <laughs> uh, you? Do I have to pay extra for this? <laughs> yes, you do. I would like so to. Sign up to Pilot Plus. <laughs> what? Um, I'm asking a lot of questions in this week's podcast. Uh, but what would you? What snake would you fight? What snake? A, gra- a grass snake. Definitely a grass. Oh, he's, you're such a grass. You're such a grass. <laughs> but you know it's non-venomous. It. You know it's non-venomous. Snitches get stitches, grass snake. Yeah. Mm. Helen, what would you find? Would you find a venomous and snake? No. I a would Helena find snake. an elderly, toothless snake with no constricting ability. All right. Okay. <laughs> so thought I'd make that clear. Didn't mm-hmm. want you throwing a boa at me. You know? Fair enough. Mm. Okay. Uh... What else is happening in the world of movie news apart from James Cameron making more money? <laughs> there, are, there, I'll be honest. There hasn't been a huge amount. So Channing Tatum uh, has announced Channing. that he is Channing is uh, working on a remake of Ghost, but they're going to do something different. That they're going to 
change its attitudes um, a little bit. What attitudes those in particular are, I'm not quite sure, but I imagine it's something to do with some of the things around um, the Whoopi Goldberg character of Oda Mae Brown and the way she's treated by the film and by you know the, the way she's portrayed, maybe, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Channing Tatum in a ghost remake. Look, I mean, he's got Magic Mike's last dance coming up. He he's does. clearly catering. His last film was, I think, Dog, which was about him and a dog. His directorial debut. It was. And he clearly, frankly, knows what women want in a way that Gibbo um, has never shown much evidence of. You gotta love Gibbo! So, uh, I'm, I'm interested in this. I think it could be quite fun, silly. I love cool. Ghost. Is that cool to say? It's not it's, cool it's to say. Not, is it? It's never been. It's good. I don't think it was even film. cool in like nineteen. Oh, it was a good film. It was a good Pottery film. Pottery has never been so sexy. I got it on VHS as a Christmas present, uh, whatever year it came out. Oh. Yeah, I watched it quite a lot. Was it because of the sexy bit with the pottery? No, yeah, you could get Helen. <laughs> you could get actual porn back then. <laughs> wow, really? Oh, I'm okay. sure. <laughs> but I watched porn back then. No, no, no. Too young. Too young for porn. Too young for porn. No porn for you. Right there, and guess what? There's no porn for you, and there's no Highlander for the rest of us. What? Uh, no. Because we have... No, it's not been cancelled, but no. we're saying, you know how obviously Chad Stahelski is making endless John Wick films, and that's a good thing. That's good not a thing. bad thing. Nobody's complaining about but that. But he does feel like Highlander gets further and further away, where he's announced another project. Presumably... What's he up to? I know. It's like, just do Highlander. There can be only one film you do next, and it should be that one. But instead, he's doing the sequel to Four Reasons Without Remorse, the Michael B. Jordan film, uh, based on the Tom Clancy novels. And I'm sorry, are you just making this up? No, I'm no, absolutely it's, not. It's, it's, really it's, it's, it's absolutely happening. And it's based on the book Rainbow Six, which spawned the very successful series of games based on the book Rainbow Six. I've but, played 10 minutes of that. Well done. This will be an adaptation of the book Rainbow Six and not the games Rainbow Six. And Michael B. Jordan will be reprising the role of his character who is Action Guy. <laughs> Was he John Clark? John Clark. Okay. Sure, why not? How... <laughs> well, of course, I think you'll find his name actually isn't John Clark. No, John Clark is a, a nom de plume. Or nom de guerre. Nom de guerre. And yes, a nom de guerre, of course, de guerre. <laughs> meaning will. a war. Yes. Uh, yes, no. Uh, Parabellum, of course, meaning prepare for yeah. war. What does? Parabellum. As in yes, John Wick, yeah. three parallel. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. So maybe he was he was dropping clues all along. Yeah, that's it. it was, it's all been the, the lead up to this. I don't see this happening. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my colours to the mask. You're right saying now. Tom Clancy's rainbow sucks. Wow. No, I don't say harsh. that. I no. don't say that at all. Yeah. But without remorse, you. didn't didn't. It we watched that during lockdown, didn't we? That was one of our lockdown reviews. It was fine. We and did a spoiler special for that. <laughs> I think we did because no you know recollection. what. I, I think that was the time when we were really starved for big stupid action movies. And like, it was one. There were no big stupid action movies, yeah. and I think uh, you know I don't know what we said about it at the time, but it that was definitely stupid. swayed our opinion on it. Yeah. It's got some good stuff going on. It's there, got some good I, stuff going on, but, but I don't, I don't not think, a lot of it made sense. No, it surprises it, it, me. There's no cultural footprint. No, it does not. That's why I'm surprised <laughs> they would make a sequel. It surprises me that Michael B. Jordan is keen to reprise this role. To be honest with you, I watched two episodes of the new series of Jack Ryan. Um, Did you? It's good. It's is good. It? I haven't finished it Guess yet. Guess okay. where we reviewed it, Helen? Oh, I don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> down a well. I hope you reviewed it down a fucking well. <laughs> no, I will say, so So Jack Ryan season one. Did you watch season one? Yeah, right, I watched it. Was, it was really good. Watched, yeah. Season two was not good. No, like, it was so really good. boring. I feel, I feel three regained some of it, that old It certainly seems fire. timely in yeah. its villains. Oh, very much that. so, um, yeah. If there's a property that involves John Krasinski running around with a beard, wearing a Henley, like, I'm probably there. Yeah. I, I'm a simple woman. I don't demand Does he much. have a beard in this? I don't think he does. He, he, I think he 
does. I'm yeah, fairly sure he's beardless. He's bearded. At I'm certain pretty sure point. he's bearded. I'm sure I've seen he, a picture of John. Yeah, he may. No, he may. He may shave at some <laughs> point. I've only two episodes. <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. But no, spoiler. He may shave. Equally, if if Michael B. Jordan wants to run around, also in the Henley, with or without shooting a, beard. a gun. Um, again, I'm open to that. Yeah. I am. A, I am a simple woman. I don't demand much. That's, That's fair. fine. That's fair. Yeah, there's not a lot of news out there. Uh, I wonder if something's going to happen over the next 24 to 48 hours, a, bit, a big bit of casting news or a big trailer or something like that that will force us to get back into the remote virtual pod booth to talk about it. But uh, having said that, we've been generating a lot of news ourselves over the last few days because today, no, wait, tomorrow as we record this is New Empire Day. Uh, it is the brand new issue of Empire Magazine. It is hitting the stands of all good evil and virtual news agents wherever you are and on the cover and we talked about this last week but on the cover is Kang sorry I dropped the name there it is Kang that's right my old mucker Kang uh, and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania it is Sonny Birch less but nevertheless Peyton Reed has stepped up to the plate and introduced Marvel's new big bad played by Jonathan Majors in the forthcoming Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and I spoke to uh, pretty much everybody uh, for that. So that is our cover story. Very, very exciting indeed. And so we've been, uh, we've got lots of stuff in there, lots of really, really cool tidbits, but we've been generating lots of news by talking to lots of cool people. Mm. What else has been in the issue, folks? Do yeah, you, know? you um, we've got uh, the first look at uh, Adam Warlock, or the first good look at Adam yes. Warlock, uh, and a little bit more about him. Uh, we've got the future of Avatar from that's John a, Landau. That's right, but that's an interview with James Gunn mm. uh, as well, uh, yep. where he talks about that, and yeah, John Landau, as you say. Uh, we have uh, Hugh Jackman on Deadpool 3. Um, we have uh, Lockwood & Co., the new jo- uh, Joe Cornish uh, series. Guess what we're In reviewing there? on the next part of the TV podcast, oh, Helen? Look oh, what I go. don't. I, sure. How much can I pay to stop? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we can uh, work something out after the show. <laughs> we also really interesting. Have a piece on Pearl, the the film from Ty West and yes, Mia we Goth, the yes, full we up do. to X, um, and of course, you know, all of the Quantum Mania, Quantum Madness, Quantum Mania, um, Quantum Madness. Yeah, it's really exciting. We also have given Amon Woman the chance to finally, finally expunge himself of uh, all of his Mask of the Phantasm chat by doing a Batman Mask of the Phantasm feature in the magazine. Yeah. Well, and it's a tribute, I think. It's a tribute, isn't it, to the, the late, great Kevin Conroy it as is. well. So, um, so yeah. And then we also have a piece on The Shining. We also have a piece on um, Jim Carrey. Um, and, uh, of course, Chris's uh, section, which is my personal favourite. The best section. Um, mm. Yeah, I read it once. It was good. It's okay. Uh, but, yes, in that, we talked to Ryan Johnson. I talked to Ryan Johnson about uh, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery. Uh, among the things we talked about was how Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery is a terrible title, and he wishes <laughs> that wasn't a title. Uh, but that is a different interview from the spoiler special interview I did with Ryan Johnson uh, which you can hear right now if you are a spoiler special subscriber. But that's a, a really fun uh, piece. We have David Bruckner on creating a new pinhead in the most recent Hellraiser, which came out just before Christmas. And there's a, a ton of other great stuff as well inside the issue. It's a it's a cracking issue, folks. It is an absolute cracking issue. Uh, apologies for writing some of it, uh, <laughs> but hopefully you can get past that and enjoy yourselves nonetheless. And it's available right now. All good, evil or virtual news agents. What a what a time to be alive. Hurrah. A couple of last tidbits to finish off. Uh, so Thunderbolts, 
Marvel Studios Thunderbolts, which is uh, a movie that is absolutely 100% happening, uh, <laughs> is has set a production start date Ooh. as revealed by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who will return as the beloved Fal. Uh, hopefully this will be the movie that actually turns us around on that character. Uh, it she is She is amazing. She's she an incredible is amazing. Yeah. Uh, so fingers crossed, Thunderbolts is going to start filming in June, she says. June! It's it's not film news, but can we talk about the fact that Meryl Streep has joined season three of Only Murders in the Building? Oh, I'm so excited. A show that I can't get on board with. Why? But, you know. They live in amazing apartments, wear fantastic outerwear, and are really funny while solving mysteries. What's not to it's love? All, it's all me. It's not, it's not it, it's me. It is it's, you. It's definitely yeah. me. It's so definitely how do you explain you. me? Hi, it's me. I'm the problem, it's me. I loved the first season, and I stopped watching season two after two episodes. See, I heard, I heard, so as I recall, I mean, I don't listen to everything Boyd says on the podcast. Sorry, Boyd, I know you're listening to this. Uh, but I, I seem to recall he started out not loving season two, but then by the end of it, really liked it. I think I could yeah, have it the other way around. I don't but have the time to, to resist with things I don't enjoy. Fair enough. I mean, Even if I'm told that it'll, it'll come good in the end. Andor! Um, yeah, honestly, yeah. your, your unwillingness to watch Andor makes me want to, like, shoot you with a Death Star. It's very upsetting. You are you are the most maddening. I am the most maddening. <laughs> yeah, it's ironic. It's like it? looking in a mirror, only not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Meryl Streep, Paul Rudd, they're they're going to be in uh, Only Murders in the Building season three. And enough people have called me an idiot on social media for me to maybe consider giving Only Murders in the Building. Uh, Once you've two. seen Andor. Once I've seen Andor. Correct. But again, and I'm not kidding, I still haven't finished the recent series of MasterChef The Professionals. I don't care. No, just nobody needs to see no, that. No, but I need to finish that. No, you don't. It's not like the plot won't make this. sense in the next season if you haven't finished also, this one. I'm going to watch your little mushroom show. Oh, The Last of Us. Are yeah. you? Really? Yeah. Oh, I, there are mushrooms in TV it. Shows. Well, if you I watch a few more, Chris, we program. might have you on the Pilot TV podcast to talk about them. Oh, oh, wow, please. <laughs> and the last thing, the last thing is the Mandalorian Season 3 trailer. Oh, yay. I haven't seen it. Nor have I. I thought what? you might have done. No, oh, no. We, I, didn't, you, I didn't even know it dropped. What were you should doing we take with a your life, I thought there was a poster. Should we all take a minute and watch it? Good Lord. All right, let's find it. One minute and 51 seconds later. Well. We've just watched it. We've just watched it. It's good, isn't it? This is the way. This is the way. I have questions. So it's, it is to, to the Mandalorian what aliens is to alien. This is Mandalorians. <laughs> it's, uh, this time it's war. Uh, no, I mean, it's been like that since he's A little been. bit, no, yeah. But, but, but it's interesting because obviously as we have established, he's part of a group of zealous fanatics mm. and he has broken the creed. Mm. So now, instead of learning and moving on from the cult, he's doubling down and going back into the cult. But maybe he won't. Do you know what I mean? Like, because he's also made contact with the like, sensibler Mandalorian yes, he so he could go either way I feel like yeah and you know and and they give him grief literally as we see in this grief cargo obviously making an appearance oh uh, yes very good and, uh, and 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 Grogu gets to 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 chuck things around with the force which is exciting yeah and we also oh. have little giggling things which will yes, make Babu you very freaks, happy yes Babu Freaks Babu Freaks do you know what this all makes sense because Ben I try very hard to not listen to the office WhatsApp chat because it annoys me but uh, but Ben was Going off about Babu Freak this week, and I couldn't work out why, and now I understand why. Now hey, hey! Why. <laughs> that was a bit crusty, the clown, actually. <laughs> hey! also, um, what do you call uh, him from Jabba's Court? We giggling. Salacious Crumb. Salacious Crumb. 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 <laughs> yeah, who, if I remember, you guys put higher on a list of Star Wars greatest characters <laughs> right. than, like, 
Ren. That's fair. Yes. Uh-huh. And your problem is? Yeah. That maybe you're swayed by what children's toys you had growing up and not actually by the quality of the um, performance or I depth of the character. think you find Salacious Crumb isn't a Mary Sue, Helen. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah. You couldn't get Salacious Crumb on his own as a toy. You could only get him as part of the Jabba the Hutt playset. Yeah, but surely that didn't affect you. You had all of the toys. I didn't have the Jabba the Hutt playset. I had a Salacious Crumb and I didn't have the Jabba the Hutt playset. Oh. Well, this has been. Do you fun. think I've just made this up? And actually, this is entirely untrue. And you could 100% buy Salacious Crumb as yeah. a figure. This is something you were told by your mum. Yeah, my, it might be. I said, Mum, can I have Salacious Crumb? I'm afraid, James, it's only available as part of the Jabba the Hutt playset. Ooh, and you can't have one. I'm of those. afraid this Salacious <laughs> Crumb figure will only become you operational want this? when your friends are right. <laughs> Good God. Strike me down with all of your anger. <laughs> <laughs> Take this salacious crumb figure's place by my side. <laughs> looking forward to Mandalorian season three. Yeah, it looks good. There I go. mean, I looks was good. looking forward to it. <laughs> bum, bum. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm quite looking forward to us to getting back to the old uh, spoilerizing. So yeah, spo- yeah, Mando spoiler specials. Yeah, we have yet to figure out whether we're doing weekly episodes yes. or whether we're doing the thing that seemed to work well for Andor. Um, before I got bored and walked off, and uh, unbelievable, <laughs> funny kid. I just didn't have time. You are the I didn't worst. Have time. You are the actual worst. <laughs> or She Hulk. Uh, or indeed House of the uh, Thrones and Dragons. Game of the Rings. Yes. Yeah, we, oh we did. We did. Episodes at the beginning, episodes at the end, and yeah. then we did a middle bit. Did you finish any of those? You finished She Hulk, didn't you? I finished She Hulk, yeah. and I, I, I was, I finished um, Lord of the Thrones did because you? I was on stage doing a live oh, that's special. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But did you watch the ones in between the first one and the last episode? No comment. <laughs> <sighs> oh, unbelievable! I would do. I didn't wish to implicate myself <laughs> in any criminal conspiracies. Fair. Uh, it's a, it's a Ponzi scheme. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's have a guest. Let's do it. Let's have a guests. Let's have two guests. Let's have two guests. Oh, they both know about back. They let's have no. funky yes, guests. <laughs> no bomb back. <laughs> and no bomb back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. Uh, no, no. It is next week sees the release of one of the most anticipated films of the year so far. A film that is a surefire contender for the Oscar race. June! It is not. The Fablemans. It is plain. It is <laughs> Gerard Butler and Mike Coulter starring in Plain. You know they've uh, greenlit a sequel, Train, and a threequel, Automobile. Did you write that down before you came in? Didn't I make that joke the other week? <laughs> did you? I think Damn. you did. Yeah, like did. it's pretty first. Welcome place. to the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 ding. A woman has made a joke I like. <laughs> I didn't. I will that. file this away for future use. <laughs> I thought I'd come up with that all by myself. Oh, that's I really mean, disappointing. Fairness, it's, it's not. It's, yeah, it's, it's not a, pushing the boat out that far. Oh, really. boat! That could be the fourth one. Oh, oh boat! Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, anyway. Sorry. Plane stars yeah. Jarrah Butler as a pilot man called Brody <laughs> Brody Torrance. That's his actual name. <laughs> this is the pilot plus that we need in our lives. <laughs> not this tawdry subscription thing that this man is doing. This this only this, fans. Yes. This. Yes, this man here. Uh, we need this. This is the pilot plus that we all need. Jarrah Butler is pilot man who flies a plane. And on that plane is a notorious killer man played by Mike Coulter. And oh, no. Would you know, the plane goes down. Oh, the no. The plane goes down and it goes down in a war-torn land. And before you could say uh, local militia... <laughs> 
they're set upon by a local militia and their lives are in danger and Pilot Man must team up. Am I Pilot Man? Killer Man. No, you're not Pilot Man. Um, <laughs> you're barely Steward Man. <laughs> they team up to take down militia. Do they do it? I'm not going to give anything away. Do we now, learn some things about bad man? Who we learned like to be not quite so bad after all. Helen, in this interview that mm-hmm. I did with Jared Butler, who is uh, a regular on the podcast, but hasn't been on the podcast for a couple of years now, and is always a delight to talk to Jerry mm-hmm. on the podcast. He's a, he's great fun. And Mike Coulter, who was the Lovely last man, of the podcast yeah. in a live show we did yeah. a, a few years ago. Uh, great, great guy. Great actors both. Uh, on this, uh, and I feel I have to warn the listeners at home, it's possible I overshared. Now, let me just put this in context, and this might explain the Northampton Services reference at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, the other week, myself, Mrs. Drinking Game, and Little Drinking Game were going to Liverpool to see a game, and we, um, well, <laughs> only I saw a game, if it could be called that. And then we were driving back from Liverpool right. to London to sure. get to to get to home to do Jerry Butler and Mike Coulter because they were on Zoom. Right. And uh, we hired an electric car and turns out that was probably a mistake, although you're welcome, planet Earth. But it was also a mistake because we had to keep charging it and it meant the journey, which usually takes five, six hours with a couple of breast stops, was in the region of eight hours. Wow. And so there was yeah. a point where we were really, really racing home in order to be on time to A, return the car without getting fined, and B, to arrive in time for the interview with Jerry Butler and Mike Coulter. Sure. Now, disastrously. No. Disastrously, oh. Helen. I was overcome by what scientists have since called the shits. Oh, no. Around, and I'm sorry, folks. Overshare. I may be oversharing. Overshare. This may be oversharing, maybe. but I think over the years, we, you no. and I, listeners, and, and, and these no. two people, that I, I am contractually bound to call my friends, uh, I feel like, you know, I was struck down outside Northampton services. I had to pull in. I had mm-hmm. to make an emergency stop. Mm-hmm. L- and then I had to race back to London like a bat out of hell. Right. Uh, luckily, Jerry and Mike were an hour and a half late. So it really helped. And I managed to... <laughs> they, were, they were overrunning spectacularly. And that helped. And therefore, we did the interview. Now, in the spirit of oversharing, Please I don't. shared this with mm-hmm. Jared Butler and Mike Coulter at the beginning of the interview. So there's quite a lot of talk about Northampton Services and pooing uh, that runs throughout this interview. It's a running gag, if you will. Oh, no. With the emphasis heavily on the running. Mm. So with that in mind, what I would say as well, it's a really fun interview and there's bits where we don't talk about my poop. Here's Jerry Butler and Mike Coulter. Enjoy. This is toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine living with Jerry Butler. This is fridge. That's good, Jerry. Well done. This is toast. Just eat it, Jerry, for the love of God. Uh, I'll give you guys a big introduction and away we will go. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast. We've started. started. We haven't started. Jerry, Jesus Christ. Honestly. Because I think that's usable, what we just did. That's the best one. Yeah, yeah, that's it. it Oh, my God. All right. Okay. Game faces. Game faces. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the stars of playing Jared Butler and Mike Coulter. How are you both? Well, thank you. I'm good. I'm okay. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that imply? Mike, are you not okay? I'm just not as okay as he is, okay? He's he's really okay. I'm just okay. 
Yeah, uh, okay. you, yeah. Get, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't have to say anymore. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just take it as read. I know exactly Motive, what you mean. Ambiguity. <laughs> well, I am. I am very glad to be talking to you because it's very late over here for the for a start in in London. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. But that's okay. That's okay. But the the reason I'm very glad to be talking to you guys is that I nearly didn't make it. I was driving back from Liverpool. I was in Liverpool last night for for the football game. I drove back, race against time, bat out of oh, hell no. to try and get here. I was waylaid at Northampton Services by an apocalyptic poo. Now, guys, oh. I prevailed. I I put I pushed through and I got here and I did it for you guys. So. I- Oh. And a po- wait, wait, you pool? pushed, you pushed through a pool, your poo. A, a, a poo. Oh no, a poo, a poo, a, a, poop. a, a poop, a shit, a poop. shit, yeah, a you shit. Poop? Oh, you held it, you held it. No, no, he, I, oh, no. He, oh, so you, no, he did it. You took a shit. I took a shit at Northampton Services, but I did it. Okay, I, I did a few. The way you said you pushed through, because I was yeah, like, that's a perfect, drove through perfect it. term to say you pushed through, and then you got back on the road. Nice. Yeah, but it was a rental car, so I decided not to. It was oh. so, so <laughs> to pull oh, wait over. Wait a minute, you took a shit in the car? Wait I didn't minute. take a shit in the car. Okay, listen, can you, we just? Why are you talking about a rental car? Then what, what can we just nip this in the bud? First of all, I did okay, not take okay, a shit okay, in a okay. car. I, right. I allegedly, but it nearly stopped me from being late to talk to you guys. I just wanted to oh. let you know that just up front. Oh, we appreciate that. We all it come was to it was that. a Gerard Butler esque race against time. I thought, oh. and uh, it made me think. When was the last time? When was the last time both of you raced against time? When you had to pull over and do a massive simultaneously, and you were almost late for filming. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't quite where I was going. But if you want to go there, Jerry, okay, you, sorry, you can go no, there. No, 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 it's okay. fine. You can like, go there. Get the question now. When was the last time both of you raced against time, and was there a happy outcome in real life? I'm not going to lie because let me let me tell you something. I, I could create some scenario, but I reached a time in my life where I try not to race. Because what happens is things can happen. You know, I tell people sometimes I don't want to be late, but I don't want to I don't want to die to get somewhere. So sometimes you just have to just take it easy. I mean, being late is bad. Being dead is a, is worse. So I kind of sort of just like, you know, I try to just, you know, I'm, I move with a sense of urgency, but I try not to race against time to get anywhere. I love cortisol and adrenaline. Mm. Uh, it's a very subconscious addiction. Um, so I find myself finding reasons to be late and then in the car on the way to the airport or even on the way here this morning going, why didn't you leave 10 minutes earlier? Mm. Um, with, with my stomach churning, hating myself, but I know I'm alive, right? It's full of emotion and feeling. And, and, um, so I, I, I have a, I, I literally had a race against time this morning. Well, even at lunchtime, at lunchtime, it was time to come back. And I thought, I'll take a lie down. Yeah. And then you had gone past the point of return. Um, and then I ended up getting, you know, running out going, oh, God damn it, get, get, get in the elevator. Let's go and get ready. So that's that's how I live. It's so not mature. No, you got you to do it. But plane, plane. And uh, oh, yeah, we made that movie. Oh, yeah, you made sorry, that movie. Right. There's a movie plane here. behind oh, you yeah. guys. It's it's yes. incredible. By the way, look at this. What a cool photo is that? That's cool. That is cool. That is very cool. Yeah, no, awesome. That is the actual plane from the movie Plane. I can identify planes. I'm a plane spotter. But, uh, but this, <laughs> I know it's a plane. <laughs> it's a pl- it's definitely up. a plane. I can <laughs> confirm it's a plane. Uh, this movie and Greenland are proof positive that you should never get on an aircraft with Gerard Butler. But is that the case in real life? Jerry, are you a good passenger? Are you someone? Are you a good flyer? 
And um, you know, I'm a I'm I'm a good flyer. You know, I've had I've flown a lot. I've had a couple of hairy moments. I had more hairy moments when I was learning to fly a helicopter. But I, I literally had a couple of pretty awful moments there. But as a regular flyer, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm I think I'm I think I'm pretty good. According to Jerry, he likes to take his hat and pull it down just so. Then pull out all of his crap. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. just spread it all over the seat and on the floor. And then when they come to tell him to put it on the overhead compartment, he gives them a look. He's like, "Do you know who I am?" And then they go, "Sorry, sir." And then they go back to the front, and then he delays the entire flight. That's what he told me. I'm just telling you what he told me. I mean, they, <laughs> I don't know if you call that a good flyer or not, but they. You know, I feel completely betrayed right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is on camera for somebody else. I don't know why he's pretending this. Yeah, is. And, and then if they don't know who I am, I throw a tantrum and mm-hmm. go up and say, "I'll fly this damn plane. Yeah. I'll show you." Yeah, who I am. I am Captain Brody Torrance. <laughs> this is before that's all the movie. He's, just doing this, he's been doing this the last year now. <laughs> By the way, I do pull out a bunch of stuff because suddenly I'm like, am I going to write notes? Am I going to read one of these five books? Am I going to go on my iPad? Am I going to use my yeah. headphones? Yeah. And I take it all out mm-hmm. and it's a mess. And the poor person sitting next to him can't, there's no room for their stuff. And it, absolutely, no. it's all about me. Um, no. <laughs> it is annoying. And then often because I put so much stuff out, I leave and then just when it's too late to turn back, I go, I left my bloody iPad. I put it under there. Yeah. Yeah. A dozen iPads later, you've never learned. I've lost so many iPads on planes. I've lost, you know, two. <laughs> I've lost over 150. Over 150. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike, what about yourself? Are you a, are you a model passenger? I, I think I'm I think I'm the best passenger. I, I pride myself on, on being a great passenger. Oh my um, god, listen to this. Yeah, I pride myself on being a great passenger. And it's 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 nice because when I get on a plane, like I, I'm I fly a lot, I have my routine. I normally don't eat on the plane. I try not to because I get tired of food. I'm like, you know, I bring my own food sometimes. Wow. And 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 I have my water bottle, I have my routine. Wow. The flight attendants, they love me. They always give me the, you know, give me a little, like the other day they gave me a couple of bottles of wine. I'm like, I'm, you know, I, I don't need wine. I don't even drink them. I'll take it though. Fine. I'll sure I'll take it. I'm not going to tell you who did that. But point is, I am a model passenger of, of a plane. So now after this movie comes out, I hope people don't look at me when I get on the plane and start like looking like concerned. You know yeah. what I mean? Like this have like a flashback or they're triggered, but, but I'm a pretty good passenger. Yeah. And I, by the way, I, I'm getting to the stage that now. I don't think people want to be anywhere with me because pretty much everywhere I've been, it's, it's turned to shit. Um, so, I, you know, it's funny. Somebody asked me the other day, what, what would you do if you weren't making, if if you gave up acting? And I thought I would be, I would actually love to go and work in like a national park or something and mm-hmm. really be out in nature. But then I imagine people seeing me going, oh, there's Jenny Butler. Oh, there's going to be a forest fire. There's, there's going to be a tsunami on this lake. <laughs> something is going to go down. And, and I often get that people go, oh, oh, I, I, as they recognize me and go, actually, I'm getting the hell out of here. I, I don't want to be around this guy. Yeah. <laughs> people at the beach pack it up. He's, oh, that's Jerry Butler. Back up, back up. <laughs> there's, a, there's been a lot of debate online. I don't know whether you guys have seen this about the title of this movie, just being plain, which is just a you know, very declarative title, plain. Would, it's a very plain title. Plain, yeah. plain. Yeah. <laughs> Would. Would things are about to turn to shit when Jerry Butler appears have been a better title, or <laughs> or is that something you might consider for the next one, Jerry? That's the whole point. Is it felt like anything else would be over describing? Um, <laughs> you know, Flight was a great movie. <laughs> Earthquake, Speed, uh, Airplane, Airport, Twister. 
Batman. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh great movies with simple titles. It was actually one that I it was the original title. Then when we were filming, it became the plane. Don't know why. And then um we argued to bring it back to plane, but there was a lot of conversation about changing it. But to be honest, I feel this allows you to to think more into it, it allows the audience to go on and have their own judgments and feelings about it. And and this is kind of the main character of the movie in a way. It's not all set on a plane. But it's very plane centric. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a thing. Like it doesn't all take place on the plane. So were you worried about misleading audiences with that title? We were plane, but then ground would have been a, no, a title for the movie. Surprise them that you get yeah. them more than yeah. they. Yeah, misleading is good. I think people misleading is always good with the audience. With you with a trailer with a description, you don't want to give them too much. And if they come there looking to be on a plane the entire time. Then you know it's not a complete lie. I mean, you're on yeah. a plane. But you know, but you're right. I mean, we could try and put in there plane and rebel-held island. Yeah, remote island. <laughs> plane uh, and landing and plane and Jolo Island. Plane, plane and ground and plane. Have you yeah. considered? Have you considered? And, and go with me in this one. Have you considered Avatar colon plane? And then people will think it's an Avatar movie. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah some people actually might go and see it then. That's a very good idea. I know. Um, <laughs> stick stick that in there. Superhero on plane. <laughs> Avengers plane, Thought I think, plane. is is a good uh, way to go with this one as well. But uh, but but Jerry, you mentioned there that your character is called Brody Torrance, which may be the most Scottish name in the history of movies. Uh, it does and 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 Mike, obviously, you're Louis Gaspar, which is not Scottish. Uh, no, but Scottish. what's in a name for you guys? Does a name help both of you get into the character? Does it clue you in to the character? Yeah, I, I think it does. I, I think Brody Torrance has a certain kind of um, sincerity and strength to it, uh, and and as as you say, a Scottishness. <laughs> so, it, 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 and and what that playing this Scottish, I think, really suited who who this guy was. Um, you know, he is strong. He is quite an alpha male. But at the same time, there is a sincerity and uh, and an honesty and a, and a kind of loyalty. And I feel like Scots in the past, they've always been kind of known for that. They, if they weren't playing the criminals, but they'd often be the they'd be great doctors or lawyers, you know. And they're they're, they're known for that as a, as a as a people. I feel, you know. So I think Brody Torrance worked well in 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 kind of coloring him that way. But also, it's just a fun name. Yeah, Rody Torrance. So yeah, mm. it was. I felt a definite affection towards that, and 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 the more it kind of stands out, the more you can kind of envelop yourself and really feel that, rather than you know John Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, what about you? I mean, you know, playing someone like Luke Cage. I mean, that that tells yeah. you a lot about the character, right? Right from the off yeah. with that name. Same same thing here for you. Yeah, you know, Lord, uh, Luis Gaspar. You know, uh, JF, the director, being um, Parisian French. We talked about it, and obviously, I was wondering how much how French was this guy. We talked about it when we we were just having a conversation about the script prior to signing on. It was for them. It wasn't important that you know it was like it wasn't about so much because the the story, as you probably remember, it's like this guy went to the Foreign Legion, French Foreign Legion, which is a place you can actually hide. You can sort of you can you can sort of take on a, a, another persona. And 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 you and for all I know, that's not even his real name. I don't even know. You know, there's a there's a mystery to it. Like you go into this French Foreign Legion. If you do, if you do that, you're basically willing to risk your life in this in this um, 
um, regime. And no, they don't care what you did before you got there. So your your past is your past, and who you say you are is who you say you are, and whatever that means, it doesn't matter because now you're now you're in this thing where it's like you're a blood pack, you're your brothers in arms, and so you, you you're in the military and you learn these certain things, but the life you had before that's gone. So when when Luis Gaspar is almost like a, it's like a is that name even his name is like it's, mm. it's mysterious. Is that really who he is? But because because. He went into there to hide. So it's it's interesting about that. So I, I like the name. I just don't know if that's his real name. So that's a that's a that's a good question. All right. Well, I know I've got to let you guys go in a second, but uh, but I just want to say you're you're both incredibly busy. Uh, Jerry, you're doing more Greenland, which I'm very excited about. I love the first Greenland. Uh, you, you know, more Mike Banning on the way uh, potentially. Mike, you're doing more evil uh, as yeah. as we speak right now. Well, not as we as we speak, but perhaps after this. Yeah, but pretty much can, as we speak, literally. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but can I interest you both in? Uh, a movie about a heroic journalist on his way to interview uh, two actors who Lynn has to pull off at Northampton Services for a poo. Pinch and pinch. I think I think we could do that if we could change the title from that long thing you just said. I think you know. No, by the way, let's just call it what it is: the poo, poop, the poo. No, no, not the poop. just poop, poop, poop. Yeah, okay. there's no there. We took the there took out the of the poop. poop. How about Avatar poop, and then I'm in. Avatar, Avatar poop. You're right. Okay. We're going to make some money on that. <laughs> Brilliant. Jerry, Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks very much indeed. Good to see you. All right. Likewise. Cheers. Okay. So that was Jerry Butler and Mike Coulter, and we will be reviewing Plane on next week's episode. Um, what would you give that story? Do you think that they should become the next Jerry Butler film? Heroic journalist racing home no. to do an interview, but he has to go to the toilet. No, it's a little it'll it's a little derivative of your great unmade film Touching Cloth. Touching Cloth. Mm. Someone suggested Jerry Butler could play because I, again I overshared and put this on Twitter. Uh someone said that Jerry Butler, you know, because when Pete Postlethwaite died, yeah. Touching Cloth and its five sequels died with him. But Jerry Butler could play Lightning Rod Halliwell. Is is all I'm going to say. He could I think he could just about do it. Right. Well, uh, if you ever write the script, then I guess we can send it to him and mm-hmm. see what he thinks. Touching Cloth 2, Trouble at Turtlehead Bay, and Touching Cloth 3, Max Relief, uh, are written. Technically not, but very much close to. And it won't take that long. <laughs> no, it probably won't. Uh, a film that maybe Helen thinks didn't take that long to write mm. is uh, Damien Chazelle's Bambadon, which is uh, based on David Gray's hit single no. from his... Uh, no? Okay. I wish... Damien Chazelle is, of course, the Funderkind who uh, made Whiplash, which I watched again the other day. My God, that film's amazing. Uh, La La Land, oh, amazing. Helen agrees. And uh, and First Man, which was also a film that was made by (laughs) Damien Chazelle. Uh, And he's back with Babylon, which is... Flames. (laughs) Flames (laughs) on the side of my face. Why do you not like this one, Helen? Because the critics have been torn on this. Like Snakes. Why did it have to be Snakes? (laughs) It just... Okay, compared to this, genuinely, my feelings for La La Land are like warm and fuzzy. This makes La La Land look like whiplash. And this this is not another day of sun. It is very much, I mean, look, there's a lot of sunshine in it in that it's hot and large scenes take place out in the desert. I just, it starts with um, elephant diarrhea. As all good films do. And goes downhill from there. Well, the elephant should have just gone to Northampton Services like everyone else. Absolutely. He is on the road at the time, if that helps. Um, But but it it really does. And like, you know, I don't mind scatological humor necessarily. Like, I have watched all the Jackass movies and enjoy them. Jackass Forever, I think, was one of my top 10 films of last year. Rightly so. Absolutely. It's a fucking masterwork. But the Jackass films, like, are clever 
and considered, actually, and funny. And this is trying to be all of those things. And for my money, mostly failing. There are nuggets of gold here, tiny little nuggets of gold, but they are literally buried in bull elephant shit. Oh, wow. I cannot... It is three hours and ten hmm. minutes. So every time something happened, I was like, Jesus this Christ, there's still the 40 film. minutes to go. <laughs> Either. Pick one. I swear <laughs> to God. So basically, okay, let, let's start. We, yeah, what's we, it about? That's, that's Rewind. Rewind. It's 1926. It's Hollywood. Um, Diego Calva plays Manny, who is uh, sort of, he, he wants to be something. He wants to be involved in the movies. He's helping out a big producer. He's helping him throw an orgy um, because, you know, he's hoping to just make himself useful, get his foot in the door, get going. Um, big orgy party happens. Lots of things. That's why the elephant is headed up the hill to the big orgy house. What the fuck? They're just, they just I want there to film. be an elephant there. I don't they, I don't believe anyone fucks the elephant, but honestly, uh, who knows off screen. Um, then uh, we meet most of the most of the characters who come and go through this film. So Margot Robbie is a wannabe star. She's Nellie Leroy. She turns up at this party without an invitation. Manny helps her get in the door. They do an enormous amount of cocaine together. He mansplains cinema and its attractions <laughs> to her because that's what happens in Damien Chazelle films when a woman wants to be a movie star. A man has to explain to her why movies matter. And so they both get set on a new course as a result of going to this party. Uh, Brad Pitt's uh, movies, actual movie star, meanwhile, is getting dumped by his wife, um, Olivia Wilde, who we never see again. She sensibly gets out after one very <laughs> brief scene. Don't um, worry, darling. There's a lot of very good, um, you know, tiny cameos in this film. I will give it that. But Happy again, three hours and ten minutes. Anyway, so we meet um, uh, Brad Pitt's movie star character. He's been a star for a long time. You know, he's worried that his stardom will wane. You also have Lee Jun Lee as uh, a sort of anime Wong type. She's fabulous, but doesn't get a lot to do. You also have jo Giovanna Depo as an incredible jazz musician who's fabulous. He doesn't get a lot to do. And I just, it just goes on from there. And it's weird because I'm sure he's done his research. I'm sure it's based on things. But to me, this Hollywood of 1926 looked much more like Hollywood of 1916. Um, it was so loose and so chaotic. And there are literal multiple deaths while making movies. And and it's laughed off as a joke and it's, and it's treated as a, as a throwaway gag. And it's weird. It's really weird. And it's trying to say something about the nature of movie making. It's trying to say something about we all go through this crazy shit and many people get chewed out and, and spat out by the system, but we still love the art form. In a way that's, it should make sense, but it doesn't. It, it's, it just ends up feeling like an almost an apologia for everything that Hollywood's done wrong. And I don't accept that and I don't like it, but I also wasn't entertained by it. I wasn't amused by it. I didn't feel like it was fresh or clever. Just having a lot of scatological jokes and swearing in a film about olden days Hollywood doesn't actually make it feel fresh. It just felt tedious as fuck. True or false though, Margot Robbie fights a snake. She does fight a snake. Yes. Yes. There's a bit with a snake. I mean, to call it a fight seems a little... <laughs> unfair, if I'm honest. I I just, I, I really, really hate it. It ruined my entire day <laughs> I, and really entire I, week. I know this because I met up with you just after you'd seen it and you had the sort of hollow 
dead-eyed stare of someone who's seen something she can never unsee. Like, a bit like all the characters in Event Horizon. Well, honestly, I mean, it's not far off that. You know, I, th- I feel like it's just going too far in all directions to make any kind of coherent point. And even when there are moments and characters who are good, like I actually thought Brad Pitt's character was really interesting and and... There was there was a there was an idea there. It's kind of the wrong time frame for that guy, but okay, it's it kind of works and and he kind of made sense to me. And then he, it, the, the the film screwed that up as well. I just oh yes yes, but but Helen, what didn't you like about it? <laughs> I, I I'm 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 so I'm so angry at it. So what you're saying is, if it's a choice between this or Babylon AD. Watch the Vin Diesel film. <laughs> yeah, I probably would. Yeah. But I, I will say, you know, great score. I didn't hate how it was shot. Like I say, a lot of the cast are good. I mean, Margot Robbie's good. I just hated her character. I, I thought her character was a nothing and just a throwaway. It's the same thing he did with La La Land, where Emma Stone gives that <laughs> character... Ever, Emma Stone gives that character everything she has. And in, and in this case, Margot Robbie gives that character everything she has and there is nothing else there. I, the, I the just famously improvised it. all her lines... No, but like this is what I'm saying. There's nothing. Else, there's nothing. There's no real there. There. The only there that's brought to that is by them. It's not by the script. The script is. Ugh. I I I hate it, Chris. I'm sorry. Uh, let me. Uh, it, it doesn't come across. It doesn't. Come across. <laughs> Five stars. Then. <laughs> what did we give this? We gave it three. Gave I was going to say because everyone's either given this five or one. There's no way we could sit in the fence and give this thing a three stars. But we have three stars <laughs> then for Damien Chazelle's Babylon. If you like that, just wait for White Ladder. It sounds to me like you should be. He should be asking. Please forgive me. Yeah. Am I right? Hey, I'm, hey. I'm the David Gray man. I'm running out of David Gray songs. Yeah. Help me. Help so me. Uh, three stars then for Babylon. Um, Helen's review may or may not have made you want to see it more. Than, it may have done, and in which stars. case, you know, go with God. Yeah, three hours and ten minutes. Three Wowzers. hours and ten minutes. But isn't it good when a director swings for the fences? There was a, a much derided you know piece in Friday this week about uh, mainly because Oren Kleberman, great critic, obviously, mm. but um, he was saying that you know every great director has to make a misfire like this, and then he got lambasted because of some of the the choices of films that he chose as misfires including David Lynch's Wild at Heart which isn't a misfire and won the fucking Palm Door but hey ho some of them were obviously you know Heaven's Gate and you know One from the Heart and things like that you know but do you agree with that do you agree that every great director has to overreach once in order to achieve greatness I'm personally I'm obviously not convinced he's a great director with the greatest respect, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, I, I think he's. I, I think Whiplash is a very good film. I, I'm not as hyped on it as other people are. Maybe I need to watch it again. But the first man I thought was fine, but I, I also and I do appreciate cinema that swings for the fences. But I also appreciate cinema that knows what it wants to say. And this didn't feel like it knew what it wanted to say, and it didn't feel coherent, and it didn't feel considered, and it it just felt jeering and kind of nasty and sort of disrespectful and so that I think Mm. um, is where it lost me really and look I can see these going for comedy but I was so annoyed about everything else that even the comedy wasn't hitting for me so um, like I say there are it's not that there's nothing good in this it's just that the bad bits turned me off so much that I was I was almost begrudging the good bits and the good, the good people, and the good performances, and the good moments, because it genuinely was like I was fucking Laura Dern, and I was sticking my arm into that big pile of elephant shit. Uh, well, obviously dinosaur shit in that case. You know what I mean. 
um, looking for nuggets of seeds or something that was something that was good. That's what I just, she was doing. Yeah, she was looking for was evidence she, yeah. of what the elephants have been, uh, the dinosaurs have been eating. Mm. I, but it just, it, it really felt like you were just trudging through something, looking for the good bits, and it is so much bad shit around it. Helen wants something more considered, which brings us neatly on to Alice, darling. James, honey, can you review this, please? <laughs> <laughs> I was try- I was trying desperately to sign myself up for a Melchit there, and I was just like, I'm going to go for it. I'm gonna-. And then I was like, No, I got cold feet. I was like, I'm not going, <laughs> darling. Yes, no, I-, I can't. I can't. I can't give good Melchit. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, anyway, so this is the film that Helen followed Babylon with, uh, and Helen and I watched this one together. I wasn't sure what to expect from this. I didn't really know an awful lot about it, sort of going in. But this one is uh, directed by uh, Mary Nighy, uh, written by Alana Francis. Uh, and um, this film is about Alice, obviously, from the title, played by Anna Kendrick, who is in a relationship with Simon. And Simon is an ass, And we see quite early on that, you know, he's not overtly abusive or nasty sort of microaggressions you pick up on quite early on but you do get the impression that she has been alienated from her two best friends Tess and Sophie uh, and there's a sense that she's very nervous around she has this habit and it's really upsetting in the film of pulling out her own hair like she has real anxiety behaviour and essentially the plot of the film is that she has been asked to go away with Tess and Sophie for Tess's birthday they're going to spend a week in a cabin just chilling out as girls you know rekindling their friendship which is kind of drifted apart a little bit uh, because as all coercive controlling men he has kind of alienated her from the people around her from her support network and sort of made him her entire world so she lies to him about where she's going and she goes away for this week and so it's a very sort of almost subtle rendering of what an abusive relationship is like there are no uh, you know spectacular acts of violence it's all about control and sort of eating away at her sense of self her sense of personality the fact that she's lost who she is and she's become what he wants her to be and i think what makes this film work in the end, it's just how well observed it is. The fact that, you know, she's like, I've been bad, but he won't love me if if he knows how bi- bad I am. That she's so... I can't do one more thing exactly, wrong. Exactly, I can't do one more thing wrong. You know, she's so... Like, her whole life is walking on eggshells and living in a state of constant terror of his disapproval. And he has just ground her down into this nub of a human. And these two friends of hers, these two close friends of hers, are trying to kind of resuscitate her and bring her back to herself. And it's, it's a very slow film in the... Like I say, it's really just they're hanging out at this lake house and you're seeing all these, you know, they're bickering amongst themselves because they're not close anymore. There's a kind of subplot about a missing girl, which is more of a metaphor than anything else. It's not showy, it's not spectacular, but it's really chilling and actually very upsetting. And I think actually, like, Kendrick's performance in this is fantastic. Mm. Really, really, you know insular and small you can see that she's withdrawn herself to this tiny kernel of a human being and she's gradually unfolding the longest years away from Simon but it's 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 a very upsetting film and I think it's, it's one that should have trigger warnings all over the place like for anyone who's been in an abusive relationship I imagine it's a very upsetting watch um but I thought it was incredibly effective. Yeah, I thought so too. And I think it might be it might help people also to watch it. You know, the the the, the flip side of things mm. being triggering and upsetting is that sometimes it's almost like aversion therapy. It's almost like um, a catharsis. Yeah. I think, and I think there is the potential for this to be that. And I think there is potential for people to to watch this 
and see elements of themselves in it and maybe be be awoken in the way that Alice is because she would absolutely not at the beginning of this film I think describe her relationship as controlling or no. abusive as anything else it's it's her waking up as much as anything else and I think what what Mary Nighy and this is her debut feature I believe yeah. um has done really well is kind of pace out that that sort of awakening so the audience is is sort of learning at the same pace she is like we sense something is wrong but we don't quite know what we don't know the extent of it we don't know how it mm. operates until we kind of realize at the same time that she does so i thought that was really really well observed and fair play to charlie carrick who plays simon because i think he gets the right the right balance of a guy who thinks that he's being totally reasonable yes. and everything he would not see himself as an abusive partner. Absolutely mm. not. And even when he's at his, his scariest, I don't think he realizes yeah. what he's doing. And I think it, it does really well with that. But then again, you have the the warmth and the friendship offered by Sophie and Tess, who are Wumi Masako and, um, I apologize, I may be pronouncing this wrong, but Kanetio Horn. Um, they, I think, they, they have a really brilliant dynamic yeah. with her. Yeah. Um, so... So yeah, I thought this was really, really impressive, especially as a debut film. I thought yeah. it was fantastic. Stuff so there. did I. But I didn't, about the halfway point, I wasn't sure what I felt about it because mm. it felt like it was taking its sweet time to get anywhere. And then when you sort of get into the rhythm of it, you realize that actually it's taking its time deliberately and it's missold in its synopsis. They say, you know, two friends stage an intervention and that's not what this is. They go away and they're gradually drawing this out of it. There's no big confrontation. Like it's it's very real, I think. And I think that's a, that's the core of its strength yeah, for me. absolutely. All right, well, we liked this one. Yes, we stars. did. Four stars Four for stars. this one. Four stars then for Alice Darling. Alice Darling. Darling. And if people are wondering, Mary Nye is, yes, the daughter of Bill. Ah, there you go. Just FYI. Nepo baby. <laughs> <laughs> Nepo baby She's alert. been working for quite a while. She's made quite a few shorts. You know, she's earned her stripes. Only kidding. Babies. Only kidding. <laughs> uh, next up, Bank of Dave. Bank of Dave, Bank of Dave, which is on Netflix right now uh, and stars Rory Kinnear and Joel Fry. Mm. Uh, and this is based on a, <laughs> as Stephen says, based on a truish story. Yeah, I think Dave is a person who exists and Dave is real a person, person, a real yeah. person who real wanted person. to set up a bank. He did. And, um, and that, so that part is true. I think a lot of the rest of what happens here is not true or less true at the very least. Um, but yes, we're, we're essentially introduced to it via Hugh, who is Joel Fry's character. Um, last, of course, seen playing a pirate in Our Flag Means Death. Um, and he is a London-based solicitor who is sent by his boss up to Burnley, which they treat as if it's the Arctic. <laughs> Um, it's a real place. With, it's a real place with electricity and and running water. <laughs> um, and uh, and he's basically sent up there because they've been told that their rich client Dave wants to set up his own sort of small bank to help people in the local area with small loans that the regular banks just don't have any truck with because maybe these people don't have security enough to to warrant these loans and everything else. Whereas Dave knows these people; he knows they're good for it. And he wants to help out and he's donating all the profits to charity and he wants to do something good for his community. So, um, Hugh sets off uh, to this distant and strange land filled with colourful characters and weird people and um, and sets about trying to, to help Dave while the forces of the establishment uh, swing into action against them, embodied by Hugh Bonneville's uh, hedge fund nasty Sir Charles who is the icon of the the banking industry? Hugh Booneville. Hugh Booneville, like. indeed. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I I thought this was um it wasn't bad. It was it has its heart very much in the right place and I agree with all its lefty philosophizing. My issue with this is that it is so unsubtle that it's very hard to take it seriously. You know, so little things like they are solicitors but they act like barristers. Um they they literally have the sort of senior solicitor saying to Hugh as he sends him off, you know, well, we have to do stuff for our clients, you know, even when we know they're guilty. And it's like, that's not how lawyers talk. I mean, yes, you you, you do what your clients need because that's literally the job. And it's your job, whatever you think, whether they're whether you think they're guilty or innocent, you might be wrong, so you have to do your job anyway. It's just not how lawyers talk. Um little things like they were in the magistrate's court and he was calling them your honour and I don't believe that's the right term of address for magistrates. <laughs> things like this did take me out of the, of the movie because, you know, they're over-egging the class divide so much that it's kind of embarrassing and it looks like it's played up for Americans and, and it feels inauthentic, which is unfair because it, it is a true story and it's an interesting story and it's a guy who's done a lot of good and I would like to kind of just see them do that a I've little bit I've just got a loan right here, right, right now, burnleysavingsandloans.co.uk. I just Excellent. bought a car. Fantastic. That'll stop. The Empire Pod Bus. <laughs> oh, God. We're going to drive around and do podcasts. Well, he did originally get rich selling uh, minibuses, yeah. so that makes he sense. Did. Anyway, yeah, so, uh, like, look, I, I I, liked the message. I liked the the energy of it. Um, we didn't mention, I didn't mention uh, Phoebe Dinever is um, mm-hmm. Alexandra, who's Dave's niece, I think. Dave's niece, Dave's yes, niece, yes. who has a little bit of a frisson with Hugh. So it's all very nice and sweet, but I just I just felt it could have been played a little bit closer to it's very reality yeah. without actually losing a lot of that charm. Yeah, it's from the same director as Fisherman's Friend, so I think we know what we're in for with this. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's very broad. Mm. Uh, subtlety is not its strong point. But I like Joel Fry. I yeah. always have. Yeah. And I think he's he deserves a starring vehicle. And even though he's kind of tampering down his natural charm a little bit, I would Very say. Very much, yeah. yeah. He, I mean, in fairness, I think he's actually, you know, met some solicitors. The way he was kind of slouching over with his bag, walking into yeah. work at the beginning and almost kind of scowling mindlessly as he walks, that, that felt mm. real to me, I'm going to be honest with you. He should <laughs> quit and right. do a movie podcast. That's what he should do. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I enjoyed it. It's the three-starriest film to ever three a star, as far as I'm uh, concerned. That seems but, fair. Yeah. It's 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 fun enough if you like that kind of thing. Bank of Dave. Bank on Bank of Dave right now on Netflix. And finally this week, there is a film. It's out on Sky. It is called The Estate. James watched it, so we, he has to talk about it. James? So last week on the podcast, we talked about New Year's resolutions. I think it was last week anyway. I'm sure we did. And one thing I didn't say, and which one thing I was, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and be less negative about... Some of the films that I see. Some. Some of the films I see. <laughs> and and obviously we didn't start off well because I had to watch Ennis fucking Main last week. But but you know, but 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 that aside, I was like, no, 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 week two, week two, I'll start again, start again. And then you made me watch this. You could have watched and Babylon. I could have watched Babylon. <laughs> it could have been worse. But so I mean, so much worse. It's written directed by Dean Craig, perhaps best known for writing Death at a Funeral, I yes. want to say. And this has on the face of it, this fantastic cast has got Tony Collette, it's got Anna Faris, David Duchovny's in this, uh, Kathleen Turner's in this. Well, it feels very much like a cousin. 
to Death at a Funeral. Yes, or, and Death at a Funeral is not a fantastic film. Either version of it is not fantastic. I disagree with that. I but, think the, the original version, mm, Frank Oz version, the British version, is really good. Uh, it's fine. But uh, th- this isn't fine. Not, not, not to spoil <laughs> it for you, Chris. This is, this is not a fine film because I think it takes, a, it takes a certain skill to take a cast this good and make them all so, so uniformly terrible. Uh, and this film actually manages to do it. So the, the basic setup for this is you have two sisters, Macy and Savannah, played by Tony Collette and Anna Faris, and they... And you only know this from watching the title sequence, the animated title sequence. They run some kind of cafe which was left to them by their dad and it's dying on its ass. Like, they're running out of money, they're going to lose the business, it's all going horribly wrong. And then they find out from their mother that their aunt, Aunt Hilda, played by Kathleen Turner, is dying and she has lots and lots and lots of money. So they come up with this harebrained scheme that they're going to go and see Aunt Hilda and they're going to ingratiate herself with this aunt from whom they are estranged and they're going to get written into her will because of course that's going to work. Uh, Unfortunately, when they get to Aunt Hilda's house, they find out they are not the only ones who have that idea because their cousin Beatrice, played by Rosemary DeWitt, has turned up with her husband, played by Ron Livingston, and they are also after the cash. But that's not all because their other cousin Dick, played by David Duchovny, who, when he's not trying to fuck them, also wants to get the money. And so you have this group of genuinely terrible people to a, to a man and woman. They are dreadful, dreadful human beings, all trying to ingratiate themselves to Kathleen Turner, who is the worst of all of them. And... It kind of speaks to what this film is, that Tony Collette's Macy is the most likable character in the film, and yet is also a terrible human being. And all the way through this, there is no one to root for, so you don't like anyone. You don't enjoy spending time with them. And it's kind of like, there's a little bit of farce, there's a little bit of comedy of cringe in here, but the jokes don't land, it's not funny, it's not amusing, it doesn't do anything new from a plot perspective and you can see where the ending is going a mile away and i just i just felt i absolutely had to endure this is only it's only an hour and a half which is the most positive thing i can say about it mm. i got to the end of this and i was just like this this is just so, it, it annoyed me so much because these people the people in this are genuinely great anna faris is a fantastic comedic actress none of that is on display in this film tony collette is a legendary actor None of that is on display. Dave Duchovny is just awful in this as well. And again, he's really funny when he wants to. All of these people can do really good work when they're given the material and they just aren't given it here. And so this this film made me cross. I cannot recommend anyone watch it under any circumstances unless they are actively being tortured. James has written Dean Craig out of his will as I a have. result. Yeah, 100%. I had a little bit more of course you grace did. with it than you did. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's a good film. I think it's very poorly shot. You can see the low budget shining through. Um, but, you know, it's it's kind of old school in a way. How many films start these days with an animated title sequence? I quite like that. Did and you... it finishes with the words, the end. I quite like that. I mean, everything else in between, not so great. But hey. I very much enjoyed, enjoyed the, the end part. That can certainly be said. The bit where it ended was, was The bit good. where it ended was fabulous. We don't have an Empire review of this, but uh, I think... You sound like you're in the one-star camp. I, I probably I'm am in the one-star camp for this. It's somewhere between a one and two. I almost think giving it two is a disservice to perfectly serviceable two-star films. Mm. Uh, because the thing with this is, it's like, you know, like two stars oftentimes, it's like, oh, it's a two-star film, but if you like the genre, you might quite enjoy yourself, you know, it's not very good. This just feels like it's just not an enjoyable film, regardless. It's just, it's, you suffer it. And you suffer it. I don't think you should. All right. Well, there you go. That is it for this week's Empire Podcast. We have two more, no, we have one more show to go before our next live show. This is episode 548. Our next episode, our next live show is 550. uh, And there is still some tickets on sale 
at kingsplace.co.uk Thursday, February 2nd uh, if you want to come along and see that and we may be at some point in the week pulling the trigger on releasing streaming passes for that also so keep your eyes peeled if you can't make it to London on Thursday February 2nd to join us for episode 550 of the podcast Uh, but if you can we would love to have you as I say still some tickets available for that kingsplace.co.uk we cannot wait it is going to be a ton of fun but that is it for this week's Empire Podcast join us next week for more film-related fun when I may not be here. <gasps> oh, yeah. But we will be joined by... The governor. The big man himself. That's right. Paul Ince. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> it is uh, Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg will be making a triumphant return to the Empire podcast, unless, of course, Helen forgets to repress record. I mean, look, Which is always a possibility it's happened before. (laughs) With me and Nicole Kidman, (laughs) yes, it's actually happened. With me and uh, Joss Whedon, yeah. Jodie Foster as well, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure it was Jodie Foster. Only five minutes. Yeah, Yeah. Nicole Kidman, it was five minutes. Meryl Streep. And then I had to say to her, I'm very sorry, we've got to start again. (laughs) Didn't we run out of battery with Meryl Streep? And we had to run to get batteries. We had to run to get batteries in the middle of an interview. That's amazing. And then, of course, there was a time me and Ali Plum went to interview Titus Welliver and somehow managed to lose the recorder en route. Did I hear about this? No. Uh, Me and Ali went to interview uh, Titus Welliver a few years ago and uh, Ali put the the Morantz, the the Zoom, into his bag as he left the office. And at some point between the office and the place where we were interviewing Titus Welliver, the Morantz Vanished. I actually do remember this because I had paid for said Morantz, which cost me about four hundred pounds. Yes. Anyway, barring it can, that, it can happen to anybody, but oh it won't happen to Helen O'Hara. No, press not record tomorrow. twice in this one. Press yep. record twice Ret- in this record one. Record twice. Okay. Record yep. twice. Got to make sure the numbers are going. Yep, that's yep. it. Keep glancing yeah. down, Stephen. Can I just stop you there? Can you do the last twenty minutes again? That's all you need to do. It'll be <laughs> all fine. I need to do. Someone else will be on that podcast as well, but I can't remember who. What do you want from me? Organization. Anyway. It's time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Goodbye to James Dyer, a.k.a. the Pilot Plus Man. Yeah, Pilot Man, that's me. Mr. Pilot Plus. That's it. They call me Mr. Pilot Plus. Yes. (laughs) And it's goodbye from Little Miss Podcast, Helen (laughs) O'Hara. And now I feel like I should be trying to hug you in an inappropriate (laughs) manner, but I won't. I've taken those HR lessons to heart. Yes, I've fallen for that trick once too often. (laughs) Never again. Doodaloo, everybody. (laughs) Little Miss HR. (sighs) Would be an amazing book. Anyway, it's goodbye from me as well. I'm off to get to further grips with the Mr. Men and Little Miss series. It's getting quite raunchy, folks. I'm not going to lie. I may not be ready. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. (laughs) 